kpsa.org. It's just about 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I am Malihe Razazan. The Hurt Locker, a feature film directed by Kathleen Bigelow, has been widely praised as the Iraq War movie of the year. The film has generated Oscar buzz, thanks to almost unanimous acclaim from the mainstream reviewers, plus several awards from various independent film institutions. The film earned eight nominations yesterday for the British Academy Film Awards, Britain's equivalent of the Oscars. Omid Arabian, Los Angeles-based film editor for the Levantine Review, wrote a review called Haji Hunting in Iraq with the Hurt Locker. He says, It's clear Bigelow has set out to make a visceral film that focuses on the skin of your teeth daily grind of being a special op soldier. And she has succeeded. But to what end and at what cost? I spoke with Omid about why this film has appeared on almost everyone's best film list and what the praise of Hurt Locker tells us about the cultural shift in the United States. But first, here is a clip from The Hurt Locker, directed by Kathleen Bigelow. Welcome to Camp Victory. Oh, Camp Victory? This was Camp Liberty. Oh, no, they changed that about a, a week ago. Victory sound better. All right. So what do you got? The car has been parked illegally. The suspension is sagging. There's definitely something heavy in the trunk. Interesting. What's he doing? I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die comfortable. How many bombs have you disarmed? 873. 873. You're a wild man, you know that? Hello, Mr. Bear. First time working together? What do you think? I think us working together means I talk to you and you talk to me. Are you going on a date, Zamboy? My team leader is inspiring. He's gonna get me killed. What's the best way? to go about disarming one of these things. The way you don't die, sir. The movie follows a special ops unit that is stationed uh, in Baghdad. And what they do, uh, these three soldiers that pretty much comprise this unit, is they go around uh, the city and they defuse bombs. They take calls uh, from uh, people who have seen something suspicious and they get themselves over there and their job is to basically defuse the package, whether it's a bomb or whether it's some kind of a IED, improvised explosive device, or to figure out what it really is if it's not a bomb. So this is, this is pretty much the storyline of the film. It's pretty episodic. It, it kind of gives you a, a bunch of different little episodes of these soldiers and their job and their little duties. So basically they keep repeating the same act over and over again, More same responsibility, but in different settings. Pretty much. That's pretty much it, yes. One of the bomb squad specialists um, in this team is called Staff Sergeant William James, mm-hmm. um, played by Jeremy Renner. Renner, yes. 
And as you write in your essay, the review of this film, he, he's kind of a swaggering, bravado, oozing maverick, something like John Wayne and some other reviewers have compared him to Steve McQueen. So what does the centrality of this character say about the kind of a film that the filmmaker wanted to make? Well, it's interesting. I mean, this guy basically has, it seems like he has very little inner life as far as his thoughts about why he's here, what this war is about, you know, what we're doing. And uh, there seems to be no sort of question of the ethics, the morals, and even the reasons for his mission. He basically puts his head down and he goes forward with what he's doing. And he's very good at it. And he's very proud of the fact that he's good at it. And you know, it seems like what what the film is saying here is that, you know, this is the kind of soldier that we should appreciate and that we should applaud uh, when it comes to this war and perhaps other wars is, is the kind of soldier that really just, you know, does not question anything, that does his job, serves, quote-unquote, his country, and that's pretty much it. There was a, uh, a recent interview with Catherine Bigelow, mm -hmm. the director of the film, and they asked her... Did you research the film? And if so, what did you find? And this is what she said. She said that everything is potentially is a threat. Mm -hmm. This was the mantra of our technical advisors. We had former Navy SEALs, SAS, Blackwater contractors, soldiers. It's not even the minute you step out of the green zone. Even the green zone is dangerous. Everything is a threat. Mm -hmm. You can even lower your guard once. And that's the litany they drilled into to us about what it could be like to be there, meaning in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Even things that seems most innocent and benign might not be. And what the psychological framework that enables you to be constantly on point. It takes a tremendous amount of stamina to sustain that. And you kind of saw that in this character, Jeremy. Right? Um, yes, and all the soldiers, really, I think, and in, in the movie itself, I think the point of view of the film as a whole is that as you walk around and you see these soldiers walk around, there is this atmosphere of constant suspense and constant tension where every little movement, every little, you know, character that, that kind of passes through the frame of your vision could really be a major, major threat and a source of danger. And, you know, with all due respect to the soldiers that are serving there, and perhaps that is the feeling that they have, perhaps not, I, I really don't know. But I think, you know, to make a film and, and, to, and to create a character that really is only about that, that is only about, you know, everything that I see is, is a source of danger. And there's no, there's no sense of balancing that with, you know, perhaps there are some things about, about Iraq. There are some people around, perhaps there are some characters in the film that could be friendly, that could be a little bit more than just, you know, a potential source of danger. That would give you at least some sense of, you know, there's more to it than this. But just to make everything, you know, a source of danger and make everything just about, you know, suspicion and all that really, to me, makes a statement about, you know, how it is that these filmmakers want us to think about Iraq and what that war is all about or what that invasion really is all about. And the film has mm -hmm. very disturbing scenes about Iraqis themselves. Mm -hmm. I really found that one of the most disconcerting aspects of, of the Hurt Locker it seemed to me like every single Iraqi character that appeared in the film, and there's really not that many of them, I mean, ultimately they're just very peripheral, uh, but 
even the ones that you do see, they fall into, you know, one of several categories. You know, either they are basically kind of hanging around, you know, very suspiciously, just looking at the scene as these soldiers defuse these bombs. And they're kind of, to me, they're almost like the birds in Hitchcock's film where they just kind of appear they're just very menacing. Or they're, they're snipers or kidnappers, basically enemies to these soldiers, you know, active enemies of these soldiers. Or else they're just kind of these opportunists that, that just kind of try to make deals. You know, even there's, there's even a little kid in the film that is the most sympathetic Iraqi character in the film. But even he basically is into just selling, you know, DVDs to these soldiers and trying to make friends with them just to sort of profit from them. And there's even a professor character that just appears very briefly and even he kind of welcomes the soldier into his home the soldier kind of invades his home looking for some information and and all this professor does is says you know welcome my friend sit down and uh, let's talk are you cia let's talk let's make a deal it's yeah and like, this is a uh, staff general william james right the right, john yeah. wayne of the yeah, film he, he breaks it's, into this, yeah. this professor's house without any kind of regard for anything just you know to to get what he wants and this professor basically tells him well sit down are you cia let's have a chat let's talk it seems like even he you know as an academic is out there to kind of profit from the presence of the americans so yeah he says i love cia something like that exactly yeah. so it seems like you know that's the other category is people who are just iraqis who are just there to benefit from or make deals with you know the american soldiers and then you know the women in the film the iraqi women and, and there's not that many of them again but what women like, yeah exactly but every <laughs> single one that you do glimpse is really you know clad in a chador and just running around you know screaming her head off or wailing about something and people like that i'm sure exist but is that really the only type of person that 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 you want to show in a film is that really what's out there as far as Iraqis and as far as Iraqi women, I mean, that's really the question that this film brings up for me. When they call Iraqis Haji, which is also, you use it for the title of your um, review called Haji Hunting in Iraq with mm -hmm. Hurt Locker, mm -hmm. they just keep calling Iraqis Hajis and sure, they laugh and, about it. Sure, and you know, and Haji in Islam is, is a term of reverence and, you know, it refers to somebody who has been to Mecca and they've taken this term of reverence and they've turned it on, on its head and made it a pejorative and you know, they refer to all of them, you know, just any Iraqi as Haji, and then what they do apparently is called Haji hunting. So what does that say? Are they there to basically hunt Iraqis? I mean, is that is that the job of these soldiers? You can really deconstruct this film from so many different angles. Mm -hmm. During the film, they do their best not to shoot Iraqis, not to kill them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they ignore them. On the other hand, it's the Iraqis themselves who are out to hurt each other mm -hmm. by strapping a bomb to just an ordinary Iraqi and sending him out in the middle of the square to be blown up? Yeah, that seems to be a statement that's made over and over in this film, which is that, you know, it's not, you know, if there's any harm coming to the Iraqis, it's not really coming from the Americans or the soldiers there. It's really coming from other Iraqis. And like you say, I mean, you know, perhaps that's part of what's going on there, but to really just focus on that to the exclusion of everything else and to bring us these very, very tense and, and really admittedly effective scenes. You know, you really have to hand it to, to Catherine Bigelow. She really has made a very, very, you know, well-made film, well-directed film that really does put you in there with the action and really brings the tension out. But where, you know, to what end and, and what, what purpose is all that serving? I mean, if, if what she's telling us is that whatever happens to these Iraqis, it's their own fault and it has nothing to do with us and we're just there to protect them and to help them out, 
And that statement is actually made a couple of times in the film. It's like, you know, we're here to protect these people, to clean up their mess, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what is that saying politically? And it's really fascinating to me that, you know, there has been so much written about this film and how it's really apolitical. And I just find that, to be frank, just ridiculous. I mean, you, you make a film about a war and you don't mention, you know, what the war is all about. What is the purpose of it? What is the history of it? What is the context of it? And that's a deliberate decision, and that's a deliberately political decision to not say anything about that. And so, you know, with all these critics writing about the film and saying it's apolitical and it's and praising it for that, I really just don't understand that. It's it's really amazing to me. I want to talk about the reasons behind um, popularity of this film. But before that, I want to play a clip of an interview that Melina Rizek, cultural reporter of New York Times, did with Anthony McKee, uh, one of the stars of Hurt Locker. Here it is. One of the big movies this season is The Hurt Locker, an Iraq war drama directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's an independent and was shot under pretty rough conditions in Jordan, and it's gotten a lot of critical accolades for its gritty, realistic depiction of what it's like to be in a combat zone. Now, luckily in Manhattan, we don't really have combat zones, so we've come to Queens. We're in a paintball arena to get a lesson in the art of movie combat from Anthony Mackie, one of the stars of The Hurt Locker. Give these people something to think about. I want them to know if they're going to leave a bomb on the side of the road first, we're just going to blow up their little road. Sounds good. Craving a burger, is that strange? Not for you. No, okay. <laughs> Helmet on. Habit trails. <laughs> it was so hard to shoot the movie, we just used the harshness of the reality that we were in and just transferred it to the reality of the movie. With all the Kevlar and the Teflon and the helmet and, you know, it was all the gear and all that stuff was real. We had real guns, but, you, you know, the real weight of bullets and everything. So it was, it was hardcore. Did you have to go through something like a boot camp? We had these uh, Blackwater guys that were working with us in the Middle East, and they taught us, like, tactical maneuvers and stuff, how to, just basically how to position yourself and move with a gun. We were shooting in, you know, Palestinian refugee camps. We were shooting in some pretty hard places. It wasn't like we were without enemies, you know. There were people there looking at because we were three guys in American military suits running around with guns. No, it was nothing easy about it. It was always a, a compromising situation. So can you teach me some of those military moves <laughs> and stances? Yeah, sure, why not? I, I think you could get it. I think you'd make a fine soldier. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> So after this uh, review on New York Times website, Jeremy Scahill, the investigative reporter who has been writing quite a lot about Blackwater, wrote that one of the stars of the widely acclaimed Iraq War film, The Hurt Locker, has claimed that the filmmakers hired the mercenary firm Blackwater while shooting the film in the Middle East. After Jeremy Scahill wrote this article, Mark Bull contacted the nation and he said as the producer and supervising producer on the set I can say that Hurt Locker never hired Blackwater in any capacity on this movie. We did hire a member of former military personnel as, as advisors as well as guys from the Jordanian military. What I can say about it is that it's certainly clear that the uh, that the ideology of the film is not too far from some of the ideologies that have been expressed by people associated with Blackwater and with firms like that and with the general sort of rightist idea, ideology of, you know, we're just here to do a job, you know, no matter what the expense, and that's, that's the end of that. You know, we don't need to think about 
the cost of this, the implications of this. We just need to kind of, you know, get get the work done, and and that's the end of that. So that's certainly clear from to me as far as you know what comes out of the film ideologically. And Mark Ball, he's an investigative journalist who was embedded with uh, American forces in Iraq in 2004. Indeed, and that's again something that seems to kind of come out of the film. I mean, the perspective of the film itself seems to be of some of of somebody who's embedded with these soldiers and just really is interested in what they're doing and not much about, you know, what is going on outside of this uh, this arena of of combat. And that certainly comes through as well. What has amazed me is the fact that this film has been given awards right and left. Mm -hmm. The New York Film Critics Association as well as the Los Angeles and the San Francisco Film Critics Association. Yes, it has been getting quite a number of um, awards recently. Mm -hmm. What explains the popularity of this film? And I was trying to find some critical reviews about this film and I was not able to. From Salon.com to New Yorker to New York Times that we heard mm-hmm. just now, mm-hmm. everybody has been raving about this film. And it's very, very interesting that in all these reviews, like the film, Iraqis are missing. Here is something that it was written in New Yorker magazine by George Packer. I did not particularly wanted to see The Hurt Locker because every other Iraq war movie I've seen managed to portray American soldiers as psychopath in a crude, politically overdetermined video game with the same handheld camera tricks and heavy metal score creating a nauseating sense of randomness and meaninglessness but the hurt locker turned out to be the first good movie about the war i've seen above all this is an iraq movie with a modest agenda and no obvious political view that more than anything else is the source of its strength he says perhaps with the departure of bush administration the withdrawal of american combat units from iraqi cities the attention of the new president shifted to afghanistan pakistan and iran and the public worried about jobs and houses iraq can start to become a real war, not a symbol of all-consuming evil, the subject of movies that try to be good movies rather than major statements, and perhaps audiences will want to see them. Wow, first of all, I had not seen that uh, review or heard that quote, and that is just mind-blowing. You know, it's a really, really great question. How do we explain this? And that's something that has bothered me ever since I saw the film and, and read some of the reviews afterwards. You get these reviewers and these critics, you know, actually praising the film for not addressing the questions of the war, of why we're there, of what's happening over there, what led to this war, what are really the stakes of this invasion. And and that just in- incredibly appears to be across the board. It's not just, you know, one or two people. It's It's people all over the place from all sides of the spectrum. I mean, you get somebody like Dana Stevens at Slate saying, without question, it's the most exciting and least ideological movie yet made about the war in Iraq. And, you know, it's one thing to say the film is not ideological and ignore the fact that, you know, by not saying anything, it really is ideological. But then to praise it for that, to say that how incredible it is that such a film has been made that has nothing to say about the invasion other than here are three soldiers going about their job. 
that just boggles my mind, you know. And ultimately, I've been trying for myself to answer this question of, you know, why it is that it's gotten these accolades and these awards, and everyone has just loved the fact that such a film has come out that is really just such a, like, small-minded kind of vision of what's going on over there. And I haven't really been able to clearly answer it for myself. I, I'm just wondering if, you know, we're just at a place where we've just kind of have tired of this debate, and that's a really sad statement, if, if indeed we have tired of this debate. I mean, the occupation of Iraq is not over. Absolutely, and, and, and it's still going on, and so we should be talking about it, and there's no question about, about that. And, and, you know, anything, you know, any conversation, whether it's in a film or whether it's in a magazine or whether it's in person, about what's going on over there has to include, you know, the context and the reasons and the history and all of that. And I really am I'm just at a loss as to, you know, where, where all of this is coming from. Again, you know, the best I can say for myself about it is that Hopefully, you know, just like it happened with Vietnam, once this thing is over, and I really do hope that it's over soon, but once this thing is over and some time passes, maybe, maybe, and hopefully that'll give us some time and some perspective and to come back and really examine the issues that have been at stake. I, I wish that we could do it while it's going on. I wish that we could still be talking about all these things. And we are. I'm not saying we're not. But, you know, it seems like across the board, a lot of people are just happy not to be talking about it. That's really, really sad, and that's really, really awful but that seems to be what's going on there's a lot of critics that called it one of the top 10 films of the year there's a couple or more than a couple maybe even that put it in their list of the top 10s of the decade you know roger ebert is one of them time magazine and again across the board more or less uh, as far as i've seen there's been praise for the fact that this film is just so small and so small-minded and and, you know, I'll, I'll read you a couple of other quotes. There's no sense of winning or losing a war here, no notion of making a difference or achieving lofty geopolitical aims. And that's from Kenneth Turan in the L.A. Times. And that's a piece of praise. I mean, he's actually saying it's so great that this film does not talk about, you know, what's at stake and, and what the geopolitical you know, reasons are for us being there. You know, he seems to be very happy about that. All over the place, again, uh, another quote, the question of what the hell these good men are doing here is never actually called. That's from, uh, I believe, David Edelstein from, from New York Magazine. And again, that's in the process of praising this film. And, and he's saying, you know, that's what raises this film above, above its preachy counterparts. You know, it's one thing to be preachy, and I'm not for preachy films, but it's another thing to really just completely ignore the 800-pound gorilla in the room and just go on, you know, merrily kind of your way defusing these bombs and saying, you know, look how great these soldiers are and how fantastic a job they're doing. To just really simply narrow the focus so much that, you know, everything else kind of gets flushed away. If you really were to look at the Iraq that's presented in the film, it's really the Iraq that Fox News presents. You know, it's really just a bunch of people running around like crazy, trying to hurt each other, trying to hurt us, and we're just there to clean up their mess, to save them from themselves, and and you're risking our lives every day as this heroic sergeant does to do this. And that's really, really, at the very least, and at the very best, an unfair and, and just an awful thing to be, to be presenting and to be saying about Iraq. In your review, you ask a very, very important question, and you leave it unanswered. So I want to ask you that. This is the question you ask. You say, 
What does this film, Hurt Locker, what does it say about this moment of our cultural zeitgeist when such a blatant piece of war propaganda has become not only the highest grossing Iraq invasion movie ever, it made about $12 million, probably more now, and it will make more when they market it more and more because of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. But one of the most celebrated and critically acclaimed films of this century. So how would you answer your question? You know, I really am I'm not, I'm not positive, you know, what it really says, but I, I like everyone to at least think about that, to at least try to sort of, you know, wonder, you know, where are we with all of this? You know, where are we in our history, in our culture, when something like this, a film like this can come out and be so acclaimed critically and so accepted across the board as something wonderful. And again, technically, it is something wonderful. But we've lived through eight years of, of the Bush-Cheney administration. We've lived through, you know, all these years of Fox News and even CNN and all those people are kind of telling us what we should believe and what supposedly is going on there rather than giving us, you know, the truth. And I think there's certainly a cultural shift. There's certainly a greater willingness to... And a political shift for that matter. And a, and a political shift, absolutely. And, and those two always go hand in hand. And I think certainly there's a greater willingness, apparently, and, and from what, you know, again, I can tell from this critical response to this film, you know, certainly we're more willing to just kind of say, okay, you know, it's, it's a war and let's just kind of, you know, get it over with and, and get our job done. But again, how permanent is that shift? How lasting and how deep rooted? Time will tell. I hope that it's not. I hope that, you know, we can go back and really open our eyes again and really see again this war for what it was and and have a dialogue about it that really approaches something like honesty and hopefully win the day again where we can we can turn back and say you know uh, the iraqi people are no different than the american people in so many ways and they're not there just to hurt us or to hurt each other they're not just bomb makers and kidnappers and snipers and that notion i don't want to say that it's across the board you know every american believes that it's you know it's certainly that's certainly not the case i know lots of americans and, and people from other countries who certainly see Iraqis as no different as anybody else in the world. And, you know, when, when a film like this comes out, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and say it speaks for everybody in this country. But we are talking about the popular culture. Yes, we are talking about a popular culture, and you're right that it seems that as far as pop culture is concerned, you know, the statements that are made in this film and the point of view of this film is very much, you know, seems to be at least very much accepted as, as gospel and as, as reality. And that is, as I say, very sad and, and very, very, you know, a cause for a great concern. But again, you know, what, what happens from here on is anybody's guess, and, and I'm still in the camp that believes that we will certainly prevail as far as turning the popular culture even around and having it look more realistically and more humanistically at you know, the people of Iraq and at the context for this invasion. Has your review been picked up by any mainstream papers? Uh, not websites? yet, but uh, there's always that possibility. But I'm happy to be talking to you about it and hopefully to more people and to just spread the word that, you know, we really need to kind of uh, talk about this film and the critical response. And we're going to put your review on our blog at vomena.org slash blog. You can read Omid's excellent review. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Mally. I would also just like to give a final shout-out to the Levantine Center and the Levantine Review, uh, where I'm film editor, and uh, um, I would love uh, everyone to kind of go to their website, levantinecenter.org, and also to uh, to support uh, that organization. It's a really 
wonderful organization uh, devoted to the uh, Middle East and North African cultures and arts. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And that's Omida Arabian, Los Angeles-based film editor for the Levantine Review. Levantine Cultural Center is an independent, non-profit organization that presents the arts and cultures of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihe Razazan for Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover on KPFA in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for free speech radio news coming up next, and thank you for listening. has waited 10 years to stage a one-person play and critical praise for the upcoming Taking Flight indicates that the wait's been well worth it. Written by and starring Adriana Savant Nichols, Taking Flight is a hilarious, compelling, and sexy play that celebrates the soul of friendship, the sacrifice of caregiving, and the resilience of the human spirit. Taking Flight will be presented through February 14th, Thursdays through Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. at the Mexican Heritage Plaza in San Jose, located at 1700 Elm Rock Avenue. All proceeds benefit the work of Teatro Vision. Tickets can be purchased in person at the box office by